0: And this is Encounter with God here on Faith FM. You are with Lyle and Angela. We're about to have another clue for our quiz, but before we do, just wanted to remind everybody about my good friend David Cherry up at Armadale, who is doing a Revelation of Hope series starting in the Armadale Church, Armadale Seventh-day Adventist Church, that is, at 7 p.m. this evening. Revelation of Hope, the end. Is it near, here, or mere fear? Mm,
1: good That's question. Kind of-
0: Challenging to say fast.
1: Hmm.
0: Near here or near fear. Yeah, no it works. Okay. That's what David will be speaking about. I encourage anybody within the anywhere near Armadale to head over there and be a part of that this Friday evening. Angela. Let's have another clue for our quiz.
1: I'm pretty sure the double prize will not be available after this because this clue will definitely get away. So get on your phones and get ready because you'll get it with this one. The number of times God inscribed his commandments on tablets of stone from Moses. I'm
0: going to write down this number.
1: Oh, maybe not. False. No, that's
0: not actually false.
1: Yeah, well then... (laughs) The answer here is false.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering which direction that would go. I was wondering which direction that would go. But anyway, we will discuss this mm, yeah, during good to... the song break. There
1: you
0: go. And we will argue this one backwards and forwards. There's been a couple of times. There's been once, I think, before we had to correct the quiz. Anyway, let's uh, let's go to what else have we got to announce? The end.digital. The end.digital is is taking place again this evening, and we will continue on with some amazing presentations. Uh, Lots of good things to listen to there. Uh, Charissa will be speaking once again at 8 p.m. this evening, so please do join us at 8 p.m. for the end.digital. Okay, so our Bible study continues on with dealing with difficult passages And there's a verse in our Bible study that our study guide directs us to this week, which I think is just a really, really good verse to go to. And that is Proverbs. Let me just go there real quick, pull up the right one. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 7. Angela, could you read that one for us, please?
1: Yep. Proverbs 2, 7 says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly.
0: Okay. Let me read that to you from uh, Proverbs chapter 2, from the NLT, Proverbs 2 and verse 7. He grants a treasure, notice how this one reads, of common sense. Mm. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. All right. So, a treasure of common sense. How important is common sense in understanding the Bible?
1: You know, it's interesting that today we're going to talk about common sense because I talked about that with a lady in the grocery store while we were looking at different kinds of extract of vanilla, and
0: abstract of vanilla,
1: the extract. Yeah, that's what we we started. Extract of vanilla. There you go. I was
0: going to say, what is abstract of vanilla?
1: (laughs) And so we were talking about common sense, and she was talking about her grandson and her children, and just how much. Um common sense is just not something that is in our world as much anymore
0: yes the uh the major the major issue with common sense is that it's not common
1: unfortunately, it's because um common sense is learned in life, and unfortunately now we do most things through a screen. How does and this
0: relate to extract of vanilla? I don't uh, even know what that is
1: It's vanilla extract, you know what you put in cooking okay do you, you know when you bake cookies I've
0: never baked a thing in my life oh. Um, anyway, so
1: title container. Oh, it's okay, your wife will help you out. Don't okay, all right.
0: All of those who are Common there sense are gonna going be like, Lyle has zero common sense in he the kitchen, even know what extract of vanilla is. Okay, so we're gonna look at an example of where some common sense is valuable in being able to understand the Bible. In fact, we might look at a couple of different examples of where common sense is from an honest heart. So there's two things that are highlighted here in this verse. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. So some people are not entirely honest in the way that they use the Bible. And some people don't use common sense. And some people kind of don't even want to use common sense because I think that there's a measure of pride that comes in And so they want to have something new and original that nobody else does and that is unique, and they gain a level of self-identification from and self-validation from having something that nobody else has. But to do so, they have to be open-minded to the point that their brains fall out. Mm. It is good to be open-minded. It is not good to be so open-minded that your brains fall out. Okay, so Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Here is the example that we are going to use. Angela, would you like to read that one for us, please?
1: Yes, Matthew. And we're going to
0: find out from this verse, how long, this is the question, how long was Jesus in the tomb for when he died?
1: right, so we're going to read Matthew 12, verse 40. It says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth.
0: Okay. Jonah was how many days and nights in the belly of the fish? Three. Mm -hmm. So how many days and nights does the Bible say in Matthew 12, verse 40, that Jesus is going to be in the tomb? Three. All right, so if he is three days and three nights in the tomb and he's resurrected on Sunday, Mm -hmm. we all agree on that,
1: when did he die? What day of the week? On Friday. No, that's
0: not three days and three nights. That's a little bit of Friday, one night, all of Saturday, and Saturday night. That's all. That's not three days and three nights.
1: Oh, dear. We have a contradiction, it appears. Okay,
0: we have a contradiction, don't we? All right, so the question that then arises is, how do we solve this contradiction?
1: It's an excellent question.
0: All right. And a little bit of common sense is going to help us right here because, first of all, we're going to look at the term days and nights. Because when the Bible uses the term days and nights, it refers to the light part of the day and the dark part of the day. A day is made up of 24 hours, and a day includes both parts of that. A Hebrew way of describing a day is to say, you know, the evening and the morning were the first day. So it includes both the dark and the light part of the day.
1: So technically, tonight would be happy. What is, I don't even know, today is Tuesday?
0: Today is Tuesday, So tonight,
1: I'd say to you, happy Wednesday.
0: That's right. It begins at sundown, and it goes to the next sundown, and that's a day.
1: Yes, which makes sense. I was just having a conversation with my housemates about this, about the importance of the night before decides the day. Because your morning decides your day, right? If you have a rough morning, you have a rough day. But you have a rough morning if you went to bed late last night or you didn't get your lunch prepared for the next day. So but the night have, does decide have, the day. Was there
0: something something special that motivated this discussion with your housemates? No,
1: actually. <laughs> Maybe
0: some people staying up late at night and making lots of noise and keeping everybody <laughs> awake.
1: No, we were just talking about whether or not if a church met on Saturday night. If it was me on Sunday, if it was now a Sunday church, that was what stemmed the conversation.
0: Oh, And it is. Biblically, it is. There's no question about that. Yeah. Yeah. If it meets on Saturday night, that's a a Sunday church. Okay. All right. Let's uh, go back to some
1: common sense.
0: Let's go back to some common sense right here. All right. So the question is, in this passage, is God using legal language? If God is using legal language, then Jesus died on Wednesday.
1: Mm.
0: Because that means that Jesus had to be in the ground for exactly 72 hours. Mm -hmm. So you've got two options here. You can take legal language or you can use conversational language. Conversational language does not demand that he was in the ground for 72 hours. One second more or one second less than 72 hours and you have gone from legal language to conversational language. Okay, And if you go to conversational language, then if I say, hey, I'm doing something in three days from now, you're going to think, oh, yeah, okay, so today's Tuesday, so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he's going to do something on Friday. Yep, That's conversational language. You're not going to say, okay, he's doing it three days from now, so if I go 72 hours to the second, Lyle is going to start doing something.
1: That would be some serious math all the time.
0: That would be some serious math all the time and a gross lack of common sense. So nobody uses that kind of language today. We just don't speak that way. So why should we expect that the Bible does and that everything in the Bible is written using legal language? That's not common sense. That's the first point. Now, if this was the only verse in the Bible, then maybe you would have a case. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, but this is not the only verse in the Bible that says how long Jesus would be in the tomb for. There are a bunch of verses, and let's summarize some of them very quickly. Um, The Bible, uh, there are 10 times in the Bible where the Bible says on the third day. Is that giving you exactly 72 hours? No. No, it's just happening on the third day. If I said, hey, something's happening on the third day from now, you'd say, well, something's happening on Friday. Yes. Okay. So there are 10 times that the Bible says on the third day that there are five times that the Bible says within three days in relationship to the uh, crucifixion, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. So that's less than three days. Yep. There are two times that the Bible says after three days, You could make that more than three days if you wanted to. You could. If you took it as legal language, you're forced to accept that it's more than three days. And there is one verse that says three days and three nights. Okay, so now here's what you've got. You've got one verse against 17 verses. Common sense is going to send you which direction right here? To the 17 or to the 1?
1: To the 17.
0: Yeah, to the 17. And you're going to say the 17 verses are going to give me context for the one. Yes. That's what an honest person does, an honest student of Scripture, rather than latching onto the one and building the entire doctrine based around that one. Okay, so this is an illustration, I guess, and what we're trying to do here is to illustrate that uh, there is... Common sense is a really important thing to use when you are studying the Bible. Um, If we wanted to look further on this subject, we would find that the Bible describes that the Sabbath that Jesus was in the tomb was described as a high Sabbath. That means that it was a combination Sabbath. It was a combination of a weekly Sabbath and a yearly Sabbath. Many people forget that in the Old Testament times, they had yearly Sabbaths as well as weekly Sabbaths. The yearly Sabbaths were part of the ceremonial law uh, that began after sin and ended at the cross, and the weekly Sabbaths are part of the eternal constitution of the government of God that exists for eternity. Um, and, And what's interesting is that when Jesus dies, when did the women wait to embalm the body of Jesus.
1: Sunday morning.
0: Why? Why didn't they do it the day after he was buried?
1: Because it was their sabbath.
0: And if he died on Wednesday, then that would have been which day the day after his
1: death? Would have been Thursday, would have been no problem.
0: No, there's no there's no issue. You would not wait until Sunday because it's kind of too late. To embalm a body on Sunday because...
1: You'd have been greedy with quite the smell. Yeah,
0: it's not going to happen. Yeah. It is simply not going to happen. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of evidence that we could look at here. Uh, the Bible says that when the women arrived, they arrived at sunrise and Jesus was already alive. Yes. Okay. So if you then go three days and three nights, that would have had Jesus dying and... At dawn on Thursday. Okay. That's, you know, that's the exact 72 hours. Is there any indication in the Bible, and does common sense allow for Jesus to be born at dawn on Thursday?
1: To die at Sorry, dawn. to be
0: die. So it's to die on Thursday.
1: No, there would be nothing to put that on much stable foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly
0: when the Bible says it was the third hour of the day. You know, the Bible actually tells you, you know, the exact time in which Jesus died. All right. Um, we could also look at the Passover. Um, the Passover was followed by unleavened bread, which was followed by first fruits. It went in that order. We know that Jesus died on the Passover, and we know that the first fruits is the symbol of his resurrection. First Corinthians chapter fifteen and verse twenty tells us that. And so, if Sunday is first fruits, we know that Sunday then the Bible is crystal clear that he died on Friday.
1: Yes. Another sign too would be the fact that um, the other thieves were taken off the cross on Friday because they weren't on the cross on Saturday.
0: That's right. What would be the problem with leaving them on the cross on Thursday? Nothing. Why were they taken off on Friday evening?
1: Because they the, they wanted to respect the Jewish traditions of the Saturday.
0: That's right. They knew that the Jews did not like executions to be taking place on the Sabbath day, and so they took them down off the cross um, on Friday evening. Okay, so there's a bunch of things, and, and this is one of the things that, you know, we need to have some honest common sense in relationship to when we study the Bible, and unfortunately, common sense too often goes out the window. Now, a little while ago, we were talking about another example of common sense. What was that other example that uh, we were discussing here a minute ago? Um, we need to look into that one as well. Liam came up with a really good question he's producing here today, and uh, he's going to write that one down for us. While he is, let's go over to First Chronicles chapter 29. Ah uh, Yes, that's the one we're after. First Chronicles chapter 29. And uh, let's go to verse 17. Um, Angela, if you could read that for us, please.
1: Yep. First Chronicles 29 verse 17 says, I know also my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you.
0: Okay, so what does this text say that um, helps us deal with dealing with what, what, what kind of what do we gain from this passage in relationship to dealing with difficult passages honestly, carefully, and with pure motives?
1: I think the important thing is that you have an uprightness of heart that you're willingly to offer all your thoughts and all your past projections and say, Lord, I'm willing to not put this to decide what I find out of it, to decide what I define as common sense too.
0: Okay. All right. So you don't go in with a specific agenda as to what you want to find. You go in with an honest heart and an honest heart, an upright or a pure heart is like, I want to find what the Bible says rather than what I want to find.
1: Yes, and all things, which means sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and realize that we carry burdens that decide what we interpret things as.
0: Sometimes the Bible is going to say things that we really wish it did not say. Uh, yes. <laughs> Have you ever come across anything like that, Angela?
1: Um, yes. <laughs> but thankfully, we don't believe in public confession on the radio.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just sneaking that in before I ask for a public confession. <laughs> uh, this is very true. The Bible says that the Word of God is sharp and powerful, like a two-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of the bones and the marrow. I'm probably misquoting that, but it says something along those lines. In other words, the Bible is going to cut and it's going to discover your innermost thoughts and it's going to convict you. And when you get cut by a knife, it hurts, doesn't
1: it? Uh, yes. <laughs> you,
0: you, you've, you've slipped on occasions and been uh, cut by a knife?
1: Definitely, just uh-huh. recently. <laughs> yes.
0: Okay. It hurts. It's no fun at all. And sometimes when you read the Bible, this is the lesson. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it should hurt.
1: Yes. And the one truth I'm recently really discovering in my life is that God's wounds is curable. I mean, no, sorry, I said that wrong. God's wounds cure.
0: Okay. yeah, They do indeed. And they actually cure very, very fast. And uh, if you're reading the Bible and it never hurts, like never ever, then maybe you're not reading it close enough.
1: You need to pray for more Holy Spirit to be honest with with the dark spots that you're trying to cover, unfortunately.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so we need to look at another contradiction here, and Liam's brought up a doozy of a contradiction. Let's go to Job chapter seven and verse nine. Job seven and verse nine. If you could read that one for us, please, Angela, and I will read the contradicting verse. So the contradicting verse is in Job chapter. It is in John chapter five, verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine. So Job seven and verse nine. Let's see if a little bit of common sense can solve this one for us.
1: As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up.
0: Mm. That's a pretty plain verse right there, isn't it? Yes. When you are dead, that's the end. It's over, it's gone, and you're never coming back, right? Yes. And John chapter 5, verse 28 says, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. So your verse says they're never coming back, my verse says they're coming back. In fact all of them, talk goes on, talks about two different resurrections, the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the wicked, two different resurrections that we have here in John chapter 5. Okay, so how are we going to solve this challenging problem? You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM positively different we've been looking at using common sense when it comes to understanding the bible okay let's go to our passage that we're looking at um you've got the passage there in job i've got the passage in john read me the passage in job again
1: as the cloud disappears and vanishes away so he who goes down to the grave does not come up
0: okay and mine says the hour is coming in which all that are on the graves shall hear his voice and come up So we have some contradictory passages right here. How do we solve the contradiction between these two passages, Angela?
1: Well, I think you have to look at other texts as well. So you have to think, okay, what does the Bible say about when you die? And what does the Bible say in other areas about is there any hope after life?
0: Oh, absolutely. And we're going to find that the Bible is full of verses supporting the concept of the resurrection. Is that Mm -hmm. not correct? Definitely. Okay, then why does Job say no one's getting resurrected?
1: That's a really good question. Maybe we'd have to read the chapter to find out what else is going on.
0: Or maybe the next verse.
1: Yes, or maybe just the next verse. (laughs) Says he shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore.
0: Okay, let's stop there. Because now we can think about some context here, Job is specifically writing about the issue of ghosts. He is specifically addressing the issue of whether dead people ever go back to their house. Okay. He's not talking about the resurrection. He's talking about ghosts. And he's saying, okay, if a ghost turns up in your house, and this is not an uncommon occurrence, but he's saying if a ghost ever turns up in your house, That is not your dearly departed dead relative. That is a ghost. That is an evil spirit. Because dead relatives are never coming back to their house ever again. He's not saying they never have life again. He's not saying that there's no such thing as a resurrection. He's just saying they never come back to their house again. Why? The answer is very simple. If there was such a thing as the immortality of the soul, it would be reasonable and logical To expect that people who had died would want to come back to their family that they had been separated from. Definitely. And in doing so, they would want to be able to share a measure of comfort, of guidance, etc. They would have that desire. And what would be stopping them? Only death. That's right. They're, but if they're dead and they're a ghost and they're a spirit being and they're in heaven, there's nothing to say that they couldn't do that. And so you can have this whole situation where you know, demons can turn up, they can personate a dead relative, they can come and tell you anything they want and people who believe in the immortality of the soul have no protection against that.
1: And, yeah, it's a very scary place to live, to be honest. It's a
0: very scary place to be. And so then Job addresses this issue. And he's like, no, when you die, you're going down to the grave. You're not coming back up. Um, you're not coming back to your house. And so he clarifies exactly what he's talking about when he says, you're not coming back up. He says, you're not coming back to your house. The reason being is because there is no such thing as the immortality of the soul. The Bible says that very, very clearly. But the Bible says instead that there is a resurrection. At the resurrection, where do the righteous go? Do they go back to their house?
1: No. Praise God they don't. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Praise God that we actually get to rise up and meet our Savior.
0: Absolutely. And then go where?
1: And then go to heaven.
0: And then go to heaven. All right. What about the wicked when they are resurrected? At the resurrection of the wicked. Now, this is uh, probably a Bible study for another day, but Mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, a thousand years later. Do they get the opportunity to go back to the house?
1: No, but they do try to unite. They Um, do try to unite. There's no houses mentioned. (laughs) There is
0: no houses to go back to. Um, Another verse to give that some context would be, I guess, looking at the events surrounding the return of Jesus Christ when the Bible says, For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So that's pretty strong language, isn't it?
1: It is. I don't see any houses left standing after that. No. No.
0: Okay, so for the righteous, when they are resurrected, there's no opportunity to go back to their houses because they're going to heaven. And who would want to? Not I. (laughs) you got the option of heaven, right? Heaven, my house. I think I will choose heaven all day long. Um, For the wicked, when they rise, there's no house to go back to. So is Job correct in saying that never a dead person is never going to rise and go back to the house?
1: If I use my common sense, definitely.
0: Absolutely. And if you then use that context and common sense in connection with the rest of the Bible, is Job doing away with the resurrection?
1: No, most certainly not.
0: Most certainly not. Absolutely. Okay, so a little bit of common sense goes a very, very long way in being able to understand difficult passages of the Bible. Let's look at another verse that we have right here. Let's go over to, uh, ooh, where did it go? Here it goes 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. If you could find that one for us, please, Angela. So that's 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16.
1: Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you.
0: Okay, so what does this text say that we can apply to the question of how we deal with difficult passages?
1: Um, Being very aware um, that you need to study and that if you study and you put yourself into it fully, then you have an incredible promise of being saved with your Savior, both you and those who study with you.
0: Absolutely. So the Bible requires a little bit of study so that when we see an apparent contradiction, we don't just fall into the trap of um, throwing common sense out the window and throwing the Bible out with it. We actually say, okay, wait a minute, I've seen really good evidence elsewhere in Scripture that this book is inspired by God, therefore... Before I just throw the baby out with the bathwater, maybe this is an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because when you think about common sense, common sense happens in life experiences, correct? That's right. And so you're like, how can I have common sense with the Bible? How can I have life experience of the Bible, well, it's by that reading of it and applying it to life that all of a sudden you are aware of the plethora of verses that help you to put common sense in. But if I'm just going to church on Saturday and listening to the pastor and maybe going to Sabbath school um, and I'm just studying the verses they tell me, then I'm going to have a very narrow view. And I think that this verse is telling us to make sure that you yourself are studying. And as we study this, like, well, this verse tells me this and this verse. And all of a sudden I start to develop that common sense. It's like someone telling me right now, to have common sense as a builder. I'd be useless. Why? Because I've never built. I need that experience and I need that personal experience with my Bible or how am I going to have common sense? Common sense with the Bible is not developed by me going to church. It's by me studying the Bible for myself.
0: Ah, that was just epic. I hope you all were listening close to uh, to what Angela was just saying there because that really, really summarizes uh, 1 Timothy 4.16 and the message that it is giving very, very well. We need to know our bibles we need to spend time in our bibles we need to know jesus christ and we need to spend time with jesus christ because that is when the bible will make perfect sense.
1: And it's a promise. You know, Um, I think sometimes we get intimidated by the Bible and we're like, oh, you know, people are going to ask me hard questions or I'm going to come across passages that I don't understand. And so I just don't really want to study because there's so much things I'm not getting. But it's the same thing with anything in life. I can be terrified to cook. Yes, because I burn things or the dog won't eat my cookies. But if I don't start cooking, then I will never be able to actually be able to. It's the same thing with my walk with God. I'll never develop any common sense until I just get in it for myself.
0: Good illustration. I have no common sense when it comes to cooking because I
1: just Didn't know what I <laughs> I hate vanilla extract was.
0: <laughs> I don't know what vanilla extract is. I call it vanilla abstract. Um, so I have no common sense with cooking because it's something that I just really don't do a lot of. I do it to survive when uh, my wife is traveling overseas, and that's about it.